This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the programme that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr Denise Quinlan and today we're talking about how an appreciative approach can be brought to even the most challenging of times, including finding growth through grief. My guest today is Dr. Nina Verma, who specializes in appreciative inquiry for individual group and whole system learning and growth. She's the author of Appreciative Inquiry, the Practitioner's Guide for Generative Change and Development, which is used worldwide, and her personal story of loss, A Mother's Cry, A Mother's Growth. Nina has also edited the International Journal of Appreciative Inquiry's special issue in May 2020 on grief and growth. Kia ora, Nina. We are delighted to have you with us. Welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. Kia ora, Denise, and namaste to you. And namaste to all the listeners of this conversation. And it's a real treat to be able to speak to you today. So, Nina, for people who aren't familiar with appreciative inquiry, can you give us a little nutshell definition or description of what it is and what its assumptions are? Sure. It's always a pleasure talking about appreciative inquiry. Uh, And my simplest um, description of appreciative inquiry is look at the two verbs in it, appreciate and inquire, and emphasize the fact that it's a verb, which means um, it's it's an alive, ongoing process. It's, it's It's a process. And there's this word called appreciate, and there's this word called inquire. And appreciate here is far more vast and far more expansive than just praise or compliment. It is. It starts from noticing. To mm-hmm. me, it starts from noticing, from attending, acknowledging, being aware in the moment, uh, affirming the truth of the moment, whatever be the truth of the moment. It could be. So, so that means appreciative inquiry is not just about the positive. It could be even a hard truth. It could be a troubling truth. But the point is that being aware in the moment to the truth of the moment. And, uh, and then is the other word, inquire. Inquire, most typically we understand inquire as in with I, as uh, asking questions or probing. Um, yes, that's the meaning. Uh, but in appreciative inquiry for me, inquire means to be on a quest, to be on a discovery, to be on a search. So basically, appreciative inquiry is the search for what gives life to organic beings or organic systems. And this doesn't mean that human beings and human systems have to deny or, um, you know, uh, be in, uh, avoid or discount what depletes their sense of life. But it just means that even in the midst of that, there's something that sustains and pulls them forward. And what is that, that life-giving direction or energy that sustains and pulls them forward? So appreciative inquiry is exactly that, that focus on what works and what can work. The fact that to do this, it, it really requires of us to be mindful, to be aware in the moment and pay attention to what is. And um, the inquiry piece also means for me that we have to be willing 
it's being willing to go forth and find out and discover and not assuming that we were experts and know everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, You said it, uh, Denise. So for me, it's always been that not knowing Mm. is far more empowering than knowledge. Mm. And inquiry is the central process in appreciative inquiry. Mm. Appreciative is the stance, is the approach, is the life view. Inquiry is the process. And in inquiry, if I come with a sense of knowing it all already, then I'm not inquiring. Then I'm not meeting the moment. I'm, I'm then bringing to the moment what I already think I know. You know, Ellen Langer's um, one sentence instruction for finding mindfulness is to ask the question, what's new and different here? And I love how that takes us from a feeling of same old, same old, or I know what's happening here to, to have that beginner's mind. Just to add to that, you know, I would say from appreciative inquiry point of view, I would say, what's emergent? Wisdom is in the emergent. What's coming into life and what can we pay attention to? For most people, it's easy to imagine using appreciative inquiry to create something new or, you know, to design something, but not to deal with difficult issues like grief. And I know that you have really worked in this area. So can you tell us a bit about how you use appreciative inquiry with grief and how does that work? But interestingly, what I can tell you, Denise, is that my foray into appreciative inquiry actually began with using appreciative inquiry in the context of what Carl Jung would call, you know, dark experience, the shadow experience. So that's my entry into appreciative inquiry world. Several years ago, um, of course, I discovered appreciative inquiry while doing my doctorate. And then I started working with it like as if it were a tool, which it is. Then in 2009, what happened was that um, I had a medical difficulty, uh, which was actually nothing serious, but was made serious because of a wrong diagnosis. Uh, I had just reacted to a medicine. I'd had an accident and I'd broken my foot in that. And, and one of the anti-inflammatory that my doctor gave me, I reacted to that. And that caused some infection, which was diagnosed wrongly as blood infection. So the prognosis and the diagnosis was uh, serious and grim. Life sent me an opportunity to see how what I had created on paper, whether I can embody and live this in life. And um, I think I struggled. I think I would be honest to say that it didn't happen naturally. Uh, naturally, I was falling back into my default coping mechanism. I, I was uh, for some time in distress because what the doctors were saying was scary. My children were small. My older son was in the final year of his school. And it was it's supposedly a very important year. Um, and uh, things were going wrong, generally. And, um, but at the same time, you know, uh, the circumstances were such that I did not have much space at home to be able to voice uh, my feelings. Um, but my children, uh, very like most children are, very perceptive and um, observant and sensitive. So they were noticing. 
I, I was blank. I, I, I had no clue about my feelings. And my older son just tiptoed after a while. And he just placed his hand, hand over my head. And he said, Mama, something is going wrong. I need to know. And Denise, I broke down in his arms. Mm -hmm. I cried and in a, in a split second, there was a role reversal. He became the parent. I became the child. And I, I cried bitterly in his arms. And then after a while, he brought me in. And he got me water and all. And then he said, tell me. All that he said was tell me. And I told him in two sentences that this is what the doctors are saying. And uh, so Denise, this was my first breakthrough. What he said next is my first breakthrough into understanding that no matter how dark or difficult a life phase is, an appreciative stance is possible and desirable. His words were, Mama, it's as simple as that. You are alive as long as you are not dead. He said this, you're alive as long as you're not dead. And you're supposed to, until then, go on living. By then, my uh, proposal for presenting a workshop on this very topic, my first model of appreciative inquiry, which I called Marg, M-A-R-G, Marg. It's a Hindi word for the way. It means the way. Uh, it's a four-step process to appreciatively reframe the shadow experience. And uh, my proposal to present a workshop paper in the World Appreciative Inquiry Conference 2009 had been accepted, but I was doubtful whether I would be able to go or not. And he took a promise from me that no matter what, I will go. And, uh, and I went. And I went, my secret desire was to just, just somehow have a glimpse of David Cooper Rider <laughs> and, Ron, and Ron Fry. And uh, Ron Fry had not come to the conference. But can you believe, the first person I met as soon as I entered the hotel, the first person who I came face to face with is David Cooper Rider. And I was like a smitten teenager. I was standing like this, I was biting myself. <laughs> And then I said, now I can go back. <laughs> I've seen him and it's over. <laughs> I can go back home. Third day is when I, my uh, workshop was to be presented. Two days I just enjoyed and immersed myself in the conference. And third day I got to present. And fourth day, uh, David called me. And we spoke for just about two, three minutes and he asked me to brief him about my model. I don't know. I, I really don't know where he heard about it from. Uh, he wasn't there in the workshop. Uh, and I didn't know what to say in two minutes. All that I said is that, David, you've given the gift of appreciative inquiry to the world. But the world has so far discovered its potential only with what's already appreciable. I want to work in a space where I say that appreciate what is so-called unappreciable. The hard stuff. And David, uh, David was happy. He said a few encouraging words to me. Next, what I know is that within a month, I received the full fee scholarship invite from David to join the Appreciative Inquiry Certificate program at Case University. How special. And how it works for me is simply, you know, I would say the gist of it is what my son said, that you're alive as long as you're not dead. And your job is 
to until then go on living and i asked myself how do i go on living he said this and then he went back to sleep and then i was asking myself how do i go on living and somebody inside said by being by being present to what the life is presenting and so you know when you when you use this approach with others or on your own issues what are some of the steps that you would take people through so marg uh, essentially i had created uh, to appreciatively reframe the shadow experience um in that it is m a r g are the yes. four steps m is make the dark visible so first is to acknowledge that it is happening not to be in denial not to discount yeah. not to deflect not to dismiss but to be um alive to it to be present to it to be able to acknowledge and mm-hmm. uh, and say yes it's true yeah it's happening as is without censoring without wishing the other way around just as is make the dark visible and then second a is for appreciate the generative intent because the point is as an appreciative inquiry the underlying principle heliotropic principle says that all human beings and systems already have and always have uh, inherently present within them something which is life affirming so even in the so called dark there's something that is life affirming mm-hmm. there's some there's some generative message to it there's some generative intent of it so a is for appreciate the generative intent r is to reframe reframe it from the dark to discovered meaning so that and is g is to generate yeah. and then say g again sorry g is g is to generate the new integrated reality yeah this is mark so if we think about you in that situation where you were unwell and your your situation where your son came and spoke to you and you cried with him that was really you acknowledging you were in a very hard place and then the a piece of seeing what was good that kind of came to you after he said as long as you're not dead mama you're alive and that's the the appreciative bit is i am living i am still living and what was the reframe for you so reframe is when uh, he said and therefore your job until then is to go on living and then he left me with that and i was asking myself then how do i live what will, what will that I, mean yeah by then i had been only focused on my medical challenge i had been only focused on the dark i had not seen around it there's so much to see around it what was there to see around it that this had also given me an opportunity in life to step back and not be on the performance pedestal all the time you know i had i had been the nodal responsibility point in my family and suddenly my my family my children more and then also my husband a little bit you know they were rallying around taking on responsibilities suddenly life was making some space open and available for me to freely explore around i was also noticing my own wrong health habits 
So when the doctor was pointing out to me that this is what you should avoid, this is what you should avoid, I suddenly noticed that I had been carrying on with some of the very wrong health habits for long. And I saw that, for example, I always, uh, I, I think it this way, that pandemic is perhaps nature's way of telling us that you guys need to be in pause and learn to all afresh respect nature, be in harmony with nature. So maybe at that point in time in 2008-9 when I was going through this problem, maybe that was the time that nature had sent me an opportunity to say that, Nina, just look at the way you've been living your life and here's an opportunity for you to rewire yourself, to heal yourself and start anew. So that was the reframing, that the sickness is creating a lot of anxiety, but the sickness is also making so many other things possible, which I was by then not paying attention to and therefore not making use of because I was so focused on the problem of the sickness. That's so beautiful. And all these things that otherwise would be missed, you know, that there's a chance for a whole family dynamic to alter and people to step up. And for you to, to start looking after yourself in a different way. 2009 onwards, I started the grief work, which happened accidentally. Uh, okay, I will, accidentally is the wrong word. Mm. But uh, I would say as an unintended thing. But after my tragedy, my engagement with grief work changed. Mm. And over the last four or five years, you know, the framework that has emerged for me is the growth framework, where I say mm. that, first step is essentially to be willing and to be able to immerse yourself in the grief experience. So grief immersion is the start of the journey. Mm. So and then, Nina, you know, you, you've mentioned that you have had your own tragedy. Um, and I know that you, you have lost a child, which is one of the most difficult things that a human being um, can be asked to bear and such a profound loss. And, and, and obviously, I mean, it, it, is, it is kind of interesting that you had this body of knowledge and this experience going into that. Um, how, did, how did all of that unfold for you? It must be, it must be enormously difficult. You have, you have this lived experience helping others, and now you're in your own experience. Was it challenging initially to bring your knowledge to bear upon your own grief? Very, very challenging. Um, to say the truth as it is, uh, I actually felt totally rudderless. I had yeah. no clue, no clue. Forget about being able to help myself. I had no clue. How to even understand myself? I mean, I'd gone blank and I was in a daze for a long time. And suddenly things have fallen apart, you know, and... I have to take care of the family uh, at a much more responsible and complex level because one is the usual set of responsibilities and the other is now that everybody was in such a trauma, especially my younger son who had just started his uh, uh, undergrad program 2300 kilometers away from home first time ever he had stepped out of home he was just about 18 mm. and for him perhaps 
loss cannot be compared in any way but for him uh it was perhaps most traumatic because for him my eldest son was the number one person in his life even ahead of me and uh, just like that so it was so hard to come to terms with what had happened and there was no time and space for me to take care of myself you know outwardly i had to wear the mask of a stoic strength and go about managing the business of my life go about attending to the extended family who for whom it was business as usual they so our house was always full of them for their needs so you know all that was continuing and our cultural setting is such that being the being the daughter in law the wife that puts you with a much larger and sometimes unfair share of responsibilities so there was no time and space for me to even look at myself forget about using my knowledge to help myself i had almost lost my sense of sound outside so whatever people are speaking i would kind of maybe mechanically hear and attend to the requirement but as if i had turned deaf outside there was not deaf outside but i would say that i used to hear a a dead silence outside whereas inwardly uh it used to feel like as if there's a deafening wail it was so loud inside and it was so quiet outside that i i started to lose my coherence i started to um feel very sick all the time sick and restless and uh, but then after a couple of months to two three months i had uh, started visiting my younger son at least once in a month because uh he was also coping with his grief and trauma with a stoic you know coping mechanism bearing strength um but i knew that he needed help from being the exuberant little child mm. uh you know indulged child of the home overnight he grew yeah uh, to be someone who had to look after himself so i was i was visiting him very often and one day what happened was i reached there on a friday and uh, uh, he came during lunch hour to meet me uh where i was staying uh and he said that will you come with me on friday evenings i uh, go to a place what is that place he said i've been going there for last 3 4 weeks what is that place he said you come along you'll like it so he said there are three of us two more boys we go together fine let's go your friends will be okay he said yes they'll be okay you come so we went um he took me to a shelter home for the underprivileged cancer children patient um which was attached to a very big uh, multi specialty super specialty uh, uh, hospital down south in the town where he was studying it's a very famous hospital in india charitable and um, 
so it was the shelter home attached to the hospital and these boys were going there every weekend um they would just hang around with the kids mm-hmm. there were about 70 80 odd families and they were all sharing very tiny 8 by 6 kind of rooms were being shared by two to three families oh, you would bless. not believe yeah little kids with various tubes in various parts of the body the effects of chemotherapy all over their system and uh, i can't tell you how my heart broke as soon as i entered there and i stood there and i i just could not uh, take in the 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 it overwhelmed me completely the sense of pain that i saw there on the on the face of the parents and i i just couldn't take it and here are parents who are underprivileged parents who do not have any resources and small children from few months to 12 or 13 years of age and dealing with terminal illness and uh, but what struck me was what shone and danced in the eyes of the children the eyes would dance life was dancing in their eyes and while i was still trying to make sense of all that was happening there and my son and his friends they got busy they had taken few you know they were taking every time some biscuits and dry ration and some indoor games board games so they got busy with children storytelling and board games and all that and suddenly a woman came running to me a young woman came running to me and uh, <clears throat> and she just hugged me and she started to bless me and she almost touched my feet and i i i was taken aback and i i couldn't understand what was happening and she also looked very um, traumatized so i was trying to understand what was happening that the caretaker explained to me that um, 10 days ago your son has paid for the fourth chemotherapy of this woman's child um because the funding that she was receiving from a trust had suddenly been withdrawn and we had sent out messages that a child needs support for his chemotherapy fourth round and your son came and he paid and so she's thanking you she's just come to know that you're the mother of this boy oh. i was speechless for a long long while i all that i did was i just held that woman in my embrace and i uh, i joined in the prayer i didn't know what they were praying but i just stood there with folded hands with her mother to mother mother to mother yeah human to human not expert to client not any other way human to human mother to mother heart to heart i just stood there with her and then i asked her i said tell me one thing all the children i see here they look so beautiful they look they look like they're so happy so i asked her and i asked the caretaker both i said and by then my son also joined in and he heard me say this and he said you know what mama i asked this the same question when i had come here the first time so i said wow so he said and 
let me tell you the answer i got from a child only so before they say something i want to tell you the answer that a child gave me so what is that answer so the child said that we know the one who is given life is looking over us he is watching over us and that became a major turn around time for me and i knew that no matter how hard it gets he always whoever is the supreme power always sends us the the wisdom the courage the grace to greet life as it is mm-hmm. it's all about what life view we take and i said okay fine you had money to spare but what prompted you and then he said do you remember what bhai would say bhai means brother bhai is the hindi word for brother and he always called my elder son bhai never addressed him by his name just called him bhai he said do you know what bhai would say I said what he said bhai would say share quietly and do what you can said yes he said this he didn't say this he lived this from the time when he was when he started to volunteer for community education at the age of 8 years and 4 months when he became a community educator his quiet mantra was this share quietly and do what you can so this became my mantra with grief work also that do what you can be present to the the help that nature only is sending to you even in the midst of your trauma and your tragedy and your grief in the midst of what's gone wrong what's good what's right what help is coming what openings are there and that that really is very much in line with you know what you have said about um growth through grief and in your experience in, in your own grief but also in your work with other people do you think that growth and grief will always come together i don't know about will but they can yeah they are meant to They're if we can to. if we can open ourselves to it yeah absolutely absolutely so in my emergent framework of um, grief and growth uh, where i use this model six step model only which is gro wth growth only the model of the name of the model is growth the third step o is opening up to the emergent opening to the emergent and in opening to the emergent what works for me and what i have seen working for many other people uh, the people that i work with is that forgiveness is the big thing mm-hmm. and it is also uh, it's it's a very simple thing to do and yet it is very complex it is very complex in the matter of bereavement in the matter of trauma in the matter of tragedy why because we really don't know who to forgive who are we angry with for the longest time i was very angry with god for the way he took away my son on the happiest day of his life now whoever this god is i don't know that's a concept that's an experience i mean hindu mythology will give you 3300 different uh, 33 crore different names of the god but for me it's it's an experience it's a concept and i was very angry with whoever that 
God is. Whoever that was, yeah. Whoever that God was. And uh, um, until I realized one day that I was actually uh, getting more and more bitter inside. Until I realized one day that I was perpetually in fight with myself, with my reality. So to be able to forgive is what helps you open up. Mm. And I love that. I love that description that, you know, a key part of being able to open to what's emergent is, is this opening. Being in a state of grudge holding or not forgiving is a closed state. So what, what kind of things have you found have helped people to come to forgiveness? Because it's different from, for so many people. It's, it's so different. I have till date not found one thing which is working for A is also working for B. You know, to each his own. And from every person, I'm learning something new. There must be some things that occur again and again, some themes. Tell us about those. So um, most of my work I've done with Indians only. Uh, but I've, of course, worked with people from other faith and other cultures as well. Uh, but one thing which in Eastern philosophy, whatever religion or faith you come from, in Eastern philosophy is very strong is um, the ability to be in a quiet surrender, uh, to be in quiet faith to who is, to whatever it is. So, so um, I think the ability to allow the faith to stay stronger than the fear, faith to stay stronger than grief, to know that, uh, somewhere know that my well-being is being watched over and there's someone who's watching over my well-being. Mm-hmm. And therefore, and another, another you know, thought that comes in Eastern philosophy is that who am I to forgive? Forgiveness and punishment are both his jobs, nature's jobs, nature's prerogative. So, so that kind of, you know, to be able to see yourself as a tiny drop in the, in the larger scheme of things and allowing yourself to then, you know, step back with humility and with a sense of awe, with sense of wonder to what's happening. You know, uh, that, that I think the ability to be in gratitude, the ability to be in awe, the ability to be able to surrender, not not be defeated, not resign, but surrender in faith. It's an active surrender in faith to what I do not know. Uh, all these things, uh, I think, help different people in different uh, degrees, in different ways yeah. uh, to be able to forgive. Uh, another thing which, uh, sorry, uh, I'll just complete, which uh, I thought that was helping me, but I have seen so many other people also um, acknowledging that helps take them to a plane of forgiveness is reverence for life, is that empathetic understanding. In Jain philosophy, uh, even in Hindu philosophy, uh, Shama, Shama is the word for forgiveness. And Shama means forgiveness plus compassion, forgiveness with compassion. So here forgiveness is not just a gift, but it's a gift with understanding what the other person did to you must have been that person's 
good ground to do what they did and and to be able to offer forgiveness saying that first i i need to seek forgiveness myself so that what they call poorn shama uh, supreme forgiveness comes from the space of awareness from the space of gratitude from the space of humble awareness mm-hmm. from the space of responsibility i'm really interested nina in the in the, the this concept of surrender because it feels so important that um i think sometimes people spend a lot of time feeling very armored and think of surrender as a weak thing rather than a massively powerful opening up to what is um and it comes up so many times as being a it's the active embrace isn't it with its acceptance there is no moving forward until we've been able to do that is there absolutely i love the way you described active embrace yeah it is so so surrender uh, what i said surrender is definitely not coming from a sense of defeatedness or resignation um it is not giving up rather it is opening up to the emergent it is it is being willing to notice what is unfolding i'm thinking about if there are people who are listening who are working with people who are maybe in that stuck stage before they are able to have this opening to what is um are there any practical strategies that you've found helpful to either help people to forgive or to realize how much it is they have to give or share what kind of things have you found have helped people to do that one thing that i try uh, with some people who uh, remain in this stuck stage for long is i invite them to first begin by seeking forgiveness i invite them to be aware to uh, with humility even if within themselves even if not to verbalize even if not to go and express but to themselves just ask that what tiny or big harm or hurt have i ever caused because being humans we also do that all the time we hurt others we harm others so start from there that do i need to seek forgiveness i know a question that's been really powerful for me when i've been feeling a bit tight like that is who's forgiven me mm. exactly the same thing mm. and how and 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 next is then how, how does it how does it feel to be forgiven mm. and and if you have received this gift of forgiveness what do you want to do with this gift very often most people who are alive and aware in that moment would say that i want to pass on this gift that's very beautiful very beautiful to finish i just wanted to ask you about um we know there is oh my word there is a lot of negative news in the world right now between climate change coronavirus social injustice financial meltdown it's always possible to look at the the dark side what's your strategy your mental health strategy or your well-being strategy to look after yourself in these times this this principle in appreciative inquiry called poetic principle which says life is all good poetry 
and good poetry can have several meanings so i can choose what i study i can choose to be worried the whole day about economic meltdown even though i know fully well that i am totally helpless i have no control no influence over it or i can also choose to see that these days birds are back in the city i can hear the bird song after several 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 years in the city that my sky is blue that himalayan ranges in my country are now visible from a distance of 300 odd kilometers in various towns can you believe this that peacocks and elephants and even civet cats have taken over the city that these days i am able to gaze at the stars so all this in one word for me also means that covid 19 is perhaps time that nature's into an ecological healing process and if ecologically we are healthy economy is for us to create economy is our creation we can always do that again human kind has seen great depressions through first world war second world war 2008 and so many other times and we have come out of it wiser and stronger but this is the time for us to come out of it humbler as a parting thank you i just want to it's a very short paragraph when my elder son was in class 6 he had got a creative writing assignment to write on um praying to god the topic was praying to god his poetry said that how can i pray to lord buddha and who is lord buddha my teacher may cut this line but i think that buddha is not god nobody is god but we all are god buddha is not god buddha is an experience the helping lady at our home becomes buddha when she is washing utensils and also singing a song my mother becomes buddha when she is cooking food and a new poetry comes on her lips i become buddha when i love my little brother without jealousy so how can i pray to buddha i can only pray but what is a prayer prayer is a poem prayer is a song prayer is not a request prayer is not a complaint prayer is a thank you prayer is a song of thank you so i cannot pray to lord buddha but i can pray and sing thank you this is what my young boy taught me when he was about 11 or 12 mean and that is so beautiful and we can all go forth with this sense of prayer as something that we live that we thank that is poetry in the way we live our lives what a beautiful gift from your boy 
Thank you for bringing this appreciative approach to how we can look after ourselves, even right now in some very challenging times. It has been a complete delight to get to spend some time with you. Thank you so much, Denise. And uh, namaste and kia to you. And stay well, stay healthy, stay safe, stay bright, stay abundant. Thank you. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. You can listen to a podcast of this show on oar.org.nz or on nziwr.co.nz or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. This program has been brought to you by the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience. To purchase books or online programs on coping with loss and resilient grieving, go to nziwr.co.nz. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.